You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Grab a Bible if you have one and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And uh, as you're turning there, today we are finishing up a short two-week series on the Bible that we have titled, It Is Written. And this is part of a, a, a broader emphasis that we're placing on the Bible this year as a church. And so the burden behind this focus is the fact that pastors and church leaders in, in the West have been saying for years now that for whatever reason, by and large, people who identify themselves as Christians in our culture don't read the Scriptures. They don't engage the Bible on a daily basis. And so we're actually making a huge push to read through the Bible together as a church uh, this year in 2017 which means that we're encouraging all of our people, all of our members, all of you to read through the Bible. And so to make that possible, we've teamed up with the Bible Project uh, based out of Portland. You hear us talking about this a lot. So a really simple reading plan in about 15 minutes a day, you can read through the, the whole Bible in a year. And so it just teaches you how to read the Bible as you actually read the whole thing for yourself. Helps you understand how the Bible fits together and is telling one story that leads to Jesus. Helps you find yourself and locate yourself in that story. Plus, it has videos. and The videos are amazing, and your kids will love the videos. So um, you can go right now to uh, download the Read Scripture app. The emblem looks like this. And so if you don't have a smartphone... You can go to thebibleproject.com and download the reading plan. Uh, so we strongly encourage you to do that. And uh, what we wanted to do is just before, as we kick off this year of reading through the scriptures, is just take a couple of weeks to kind of give a brief introduction to the Bible and ask questions like, what is the Bible? Uh, why does the Bible matter? Is the Bible reliable? How do you read it? And so um, uh, our hope in this series and in this next year and in the coming years is that you will see in the midst of all the questions that uh, the Bible is God's word to you. It is God's self-revelation and self-disclosure to you so that you can know him and experience the life you were made for and that Jesus has made possible for you. And so that's our hope. That's my prayer for this morning. Uh, and, and with that, look with me at Matthew chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 4. And then I'm actually going to flip over to Psalm 119. I'm going to read some verses from that passage as well. So... Um, Look with me. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 4, or or Matthew records rather. He says, "Um, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was what? Hungry. Hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, Listen, if you're the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. I know you're hungry, Jesus. All you got to do is snap your fingers and you can have a feast. And here's Jesus' response in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, flip back to Psalm 119, or you can just look on the screen with me and I'll read to you. What the psalmist says quickly, he says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. 
I praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Verse 9, this is what we see happening with Jesus in the wilderness. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let, not, let me not wonder from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. When my lips declare all the rules of your mouth, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, I I pray that you would, as your scriptures were just opened, that you would whet our appetite for what it is that you would have for us this morning. And that you would awaken the hunger that Ecclesiastes says that you have put in us for yourself. This starving soul that we carry with us everywhere we go. Would Would you awaken our hunger for you? And would you satisfy that hunger with the nourishing bread of life, the presence of the real resurrected Jesus who is among us and with us this morning. So God, I pray that you would get me out of the way. I pray that you would would put away distractions. You would work through the distractions. You would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts so that we can hear you speak and we may respond in faith to what you would have for us this morning. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I have this friend in Kansas City that I want to lovingly poke fun at. Uh, It's okay. I got his permission. And uh, so we'll call him Bobby because that's his name. And uh, and so so, uh, Bobby, during my time in Kansas City, Bobby developed this reputation for being the go-to guy for all the best places to eat in the city. So if you have a restaurant recommendation, you go to Bobby. If there's a new restaurant in town, you better believe you're going to hear about it from Bobby because he's the guy that's going to discover it, discover it before you. He's going to rub it in your face. He's going to tell you if it's awesome or if it's terrible. And so he's historically always saying things like, man, if you want an authentic Midwestern barbecue experience, you've got to go, to, you've, you've got to go get the Z-Man. Like you, you have to go to, to Joe's Kansas City and get the Z-Man. The, the line's out the door. You're going to wait an hour, but it's all about the experience. It's in the gas station there you got to go or 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 if you want the best burger in the city don't go to brgr that's an overpriced hipster burger um you need to go to the char bar down in westport it's right there on the corner of mill street in pennsylvania it's it's phenomenal tell them bobby sent you go get the brisket burger or you know he says things like uh if you want the best italian in the city you've got to go to garozzo's It's this tiny hole-in-the-wall place in the River Market District. They say that the family who runs this place has connections to the old mob family, the old mafia family in Kansas City. You're going to pay 250 bucks, but the meatballs will blow your mind. So you've got, you have to go there. And so he's just always saying these kinds of things. And one day it occurred to me, Bobby, I've only ever seen you eat Taco Bell and Subway. And now that I think about it, you're a full-time graduate student, uh, and you, you work part-time at Starbucks. How in the world do you have the time and the money to go to all these amazing places and eat and enjoy all these amazing food? And he, he got the same look that my daughter gets on her face when she knows that she's busted. Like, he looked busted. 
And he said kind of, well, I mean, between you and me, I mean, I've never really been to most of these places. I just, but, but, but now, but now the food's, I do know for sure the food's amazing and you should go there. And so I said, now, wait a minute, hold on a second. How do you know the food at these places is so amazing if you've never been there and tasted it for yourself? And so he says, here's the deal. You got to keep a secret until today. Um, so he says, here's, here's the deal. He, Bobby worked at Starbucks and one of his recurring customers is the guy who writes all the, the restaurant and food reviews <laughs> for the Kansas City Star. <laughs> like the news, this guy's like a world-renowned foodie. I mean, he's got like a million followers on Twitter. Twitter, You know, he's like been featured on Food Network. He's like, all these food blogs feature him. It's like, dude, are you serious? So what's happening <laughs> Is you've got this guy coming in. Bobby develops a relationship with this guy. And Bobby hears about all these amazing places to eat. And he hears about how rich and how nourishing and how sweet and how tasty and how delicious all this food is. And so Bobby can talk about this food as if he knows it's good. The only problem is he's never personally tasted and experienced it for himself. And so the reality is that... For, for the majority of those who identify themselves as Christians in America, that just about perfectly describes our engagement with the Bible. So see, I just read Psalm 119. Now we would all agree, I would assume, with the psalmist when he says things like, God's word is rich and nutritious and life-giving and nourishing and sweet. Right? Let me put this on the, on the screen for you. Verse 103, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. But the great Jonathan Edwards once said, There's a fundamental difference between knowing rationally that honey is sweet and actually tasting and experiencing its sweetness. And so I wonder if that's not true for you this morning when it comes to your relationship with God through the Scriptures. You know that this is good. You know that this is rich. You know rationally that this is nourishing. The only problem is you're not plating this up and eating this meal and experiencing and enjoying this for yourself. And see, that's a problem for us because multiple times Jesus and the biblical authors compare Scripture to food and they call us to eat it and to consume it, and to be nourished by it. This is what's going on in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness. So let's go there for a second. Can we leave this place and let's go to the dry desert wilderness? Jesus is there in the wilderness. Put yourself there. He hasn't eaten food in 40 days physically. And so the scripture says that he is what? Hungry, right? He's hungry. And at his most vulnerable point, the devil comes to him and tries to destroy his life. Not just his physical life, but the devil attacks his soul. And he says, look, Jesus, why don't you turn away from a trusting relationship with your father and define life according to your own definition of reality and play by your own rules, and you'll be happy. You'll be happy. Same core lie that we're all tempted to believe. And notice how Jesus survives in the wilderness. Fantastic. Verse 1 says that he survives because he's walking by the Spirit. But notice how Jesus learns to walk by the Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 4. Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Jesus is quoting scripture. And look at how he defines scripture. Put your eyes on that verse. He says, scripture is God speaking to you. This is, this is every word proceeding from the mouth of God to you so that you can know him and you can have life in him. And Jesus says, just like food, you need to eat this in order to grow and be nourished and survive and thrive in the wilderness. And just like food, Jesus says, if you don't eat this, you will become spiritually malnourished, emaciated, and eventually you will starve to death in this wilderness. So I've got this overwhelming burden for my children that they're going to be malnourished because they refuse to eat green vegetables when I put them in front of them. Even when I cook them in brown sugar and bourbon, which is, which is why like, I don't know if it's possible for them to be my children. Like, what is the deal, man? Like, there's bacon in this and brown sugar in this. And like, you won't eat this? This is unbelievable. They know it's good. They know it's good because I put it in front of them and I tell them it's good. And yet they would rather starve to death than eat it. And this is the way that one cultural commentator describes this phenomenon that we have taking place in the American church. I'll read to you a rather lengthy quote. He preaches it better than I can. So he says this. I've heard people call it a famine of biblical literacy that we have going on in American Christianity. But famine is probably not the most accurate word for it. Normal famines are caused by the lack of resources. People don't have the access to the food they need, and so they waste away due to lack of sustenance. They need nourishment, they need to be revived, but they lack the food. While there are places in the world facing a famine of the Bible, like North Korea where its distribution is illegal, or among the 180 million people throughout the world who still lack a translation in their native language, this is hardly our problem in the American church. We sell millions of Bibles a year. We have dozens of Bible apps for our phones. We even have apps that will read the Bible to us so we don't have to read it for ourselves. No. The phenomenon of biblical illiteracy in America is not due to lack of resources. We are simply starving ourselves to death. So the bottom line is that if we don't have a habit of consuming God's word, we'll never learn how to walk by the Spirit, and we'll probably never make it in this wilderness. The enemy will eat your lunch if you don't learn how to eat God's word. And so that begs the question, right, then how? Okay, that's what I want to talk about this morning. How? We talked last week about why does the Bible matter for your life? And what I want to talk about today is how do you actually plate this up and eat this? How do you cultivate a habit of daily engaging and feasting on the scriptures? And so we're going to get extremely practical into the nuts and bolts. So bear with me. I think this will be helpful and fruitful for you in the long run. Okay. Now, this is where I want to turn our attention to Psalm 119. Because in Psalm 119, we get some instruction on how to eat God's word. And how to learn how to eat this for ourselves. Um, and by the way, let me just kind of time out. Can I just shepherd your heart for just a second? There's no shame in needing to learn how to do this, right? At one point in our lives, none of us could physically feed ourselves. We had to learn how to do that, right? And, and we did have to learn how to do that in order to survive and make it in this world. The same is true when it comes to engaging God's word. Nobody, he's not mad at you if you don't know how to do this, but you need to learn. We need to learn how to do this. And the good news is you can. 
And so Psalm 119 is very helpful for that. So uh, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three major ideas and get very practical. Three major ways we see in Psalm 119 that we are to read the scriptures, and they are as follows. We are to delight in God's word. We are to meditate on God's word. And we are to obey God's word. And this is how you read the Bible. Now, I just want to briefly unpack each of those and make some application for us. So, look with me at Psalm 119. Grab your fork and your knife, and let's dive into it. Um, Look at verse 12. Let's start in verse 12. The psalmist says this, Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Wow. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So this is the longest chapter in all the Bible. And it's written as this elaborate celebration of Scripture. The whole thing is about the joy of God's word, God's self-revelation to us. And so look at the different ways he refers to Scripture. He calls it, I just want you to know that he's, he's talking about Scripture. Uh, the statutes, God's testimonies, God's rules, God's precepts, God's, God's ways, God's law, God's word. All of that he's talking about is all synonymous with Scripture or the Bible. And the first thing that I want us to see in terms of how we are to engage this, he says, is that we are to read it with delight. You see that in this passage? Eight times in this psalm, the psalmist says that he delights in God's word. So when you talk about how do you read it, he's first starting with the posture that we bring. And we bring this posture of, man, the same way you approach a good burger at Feisty's, right? I'm going to enjoy this, man. I'm going to dig into this. I'm going to savor every bite. He delights in it. So... In other places, look, look at what he says in verse 14. If you've got the, or I think I'm going to put it on the screen for you. He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. More than all the stuff money can buy, he says, I enjoy your word. I have this vision in my head of this, that scene in Dumb and Dumber when they realize that the briefcase is full of money. And they're like rolling in it and swimming in it and throwing it in the air and buying Lamborghinis and passing it out like they're just... They're just rolling around in it, delighting in it, right? He says, more than, all, more than all the riches of the world, I enjoy your words. And look at what else he says. I want to put this on the screen for you. He, he goes on, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than, than thousands of gold and silver pieces. In verse 127, he says, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Ten times in the psalm, he says, I love your word. Uh, verse 111, he says, God's word's the joy of my heart. Verse 20, he says, listen to this, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. My soul is consumed with longing. In other words, he says, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for this, he says. And this is the posture with which we are to bring to the scriptures. It's this idea of loving, taking pleasure in, and delighting God's word. Now, this begs the question, doesn't it? Why is this not the posture we bring to the scriptures? Because I'll tell you for me, full, full confession, to this day, often this is not how I read the scriptures. Now, growing up as a Christian, I didn't read them ever. This is just a meal that I skipped out on. Uh, maybe I grabbed a snack every now and then, you know, but for the most part, I didn't eat this. 
And then when I learned to finally try to eat it, I did it mostly out of a guilty conscience. And so reading the scriptures was more of a duty to me than it was a delight. There was this weird motivation of like, if I read this and check this off the box, then you'll finally love me. Then I can go to heaven when I die. And so it was one of a million things that I did to try to prove myself to God. This wasn't coming from a place of enjoying God. And then I fell into an extremely dark period of my life in seminary. When reading the Bible was so far from a delight to me, it was just merely an intellectual exercise and an opportunity for me to show people how much I know. Why is it that we don't enjoy this meal? We enjoy The Bachelor, right? Right now. Anybody else enjoying The Bachelor? Just horrible smut TV. It's so entertaining. Um, (laughs) Randy says, no, 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 no. Doesn't matter if there's somebody from Hoxie and Pocahontas on it. Randy's not going to watch it. Um, You're probably the more spiritual person. Um, Listen, why do we not enjoy this? Some of you in this room, let me kind of go on excursus for a second. Some of you perhaps don't delight in this because you don't trust in this. Like you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and so you don't believe that this is really God speaking to you. And if you're honest, you take issue with the Bible. And so you have questions like, man, how do we know this is God speaking to us? And if it is, what do we do about the fact that we don't have the original manuscripts? Like, what do you do about the fact that, you know, this has been copied and translated and how do we know there aren't errors in this thing? And I'm just not sure this is really reliable. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to know this is a safe place for you to ask those kind of questions and for you to belong before you believe. And if that's you, I would personally love to talk with you uh, one-on-one. And, and I would encourage all of you to like our Facebook f- page. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to write all about the historical reliability of the Bible in my Wednesday's Word piece. But for now, let me just kind of take us on a little bit of an excursus and say a couple things about that because I think it will help us in the long run. Listen, listen, we believe as Christians, as Jesus taught, that God spoke His Word. This is God speaking. And then He inspired human beings to write it down. And He superintended the whole process in a way that preserved their humanness and yet kept them from making any mistakes. Mind-blowing that He can do that. And so then these people called scribes come along and they copy this thing. They copy this, they copy what was originally written. And we have thousands and thousands of these copies. In fact, the Bible has over 100,000 times more copies and more manuscripts than does the average classical work. And so in the scholarly world, you're never going to hear any debate or question about whether or not Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey or whether or not when you're reading that, you're actually reading an accurate representation of what he wrote. We just trust that that's what he wrote even though we don't have very many manuscripts of what he wrote. And the ones we do have are way later than the original writing. My whole point being this, just from merely a rational perspective, when you stack the manuscript evidence together, we can have full confidence because of the unanimous agreement that we have an accurate representation of what God really did say when it really was first written. But that requires faith. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into. Jesus, by the way, used copies and translations. He didn't have the originals. So when he stood up in Luke chapter 4 and he read the scroll, and he says, this is God's word. I trust this. I obey this. I surrender to this. This is authoritative. He wasn't reading the original. He's reading a copy. He didn't have the original. When he got up in the morning and read his Bible, he was probably reading from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So Jesus trusted his translations, and so can we. At the end of the day, what I think we have to wrestle with is we, we, we will delight in the Scriptures when we actually trust that Jesus, as we sang this morning, really is alive. <laughs> like, 
We follow a crucified yet risen Messiah. And for me, that just ends the debate. Like historically, the tomb was empty. Historically, he was seen by eyewitnesses. Historically, a new worldview was born overnight. And this guy who said, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead, and then he actually does it means that I just agree with him. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand everything he says. Some of it is difficult for me, but like, I trust him. And so if that's you and you don't delight in the scriptures because you don't trust that this is God's voice, this is God's invitation for you to know him, my prayer for you is that in the midst of all the distractions, in the midst of all the questions, you would be encountered by the real resurrected Jesus and you would hear his invitation to come to him and find rest and come to him and trust him, take him at his word. And now I think for most of us, the reason why we struggle to delight in this, if we're honest, is not because we don't trust that, like Jesus said, it's true and it's trustworthy and it's reliable and it's God speaking. It's just that we have yet to develop the palette for the scriptures. So I used to work at Starbucks as well, a different one from Bobby. And uh, when I worked at Starbucks, I, when I first took that job, I didn't enjoy coffee. I was one of those people who enjoyed a little bit of coffee with my cream and sugar. And so um, I didn't like coffee a whole lot. But in my, does this, somebody this say hallelujah to that? Randy? Oh, okay, I gotcha. So, um, I, but you know what I did is in my first couple of weeks of working there, I was forced to drink at least two cups, full, full two cups of every kind of roast that we had. Straight, no cream and sugar. And so the reason I had to do that was so that I could learn to distinguish all the different notes and all the different flavors and the undertones so that I can accurately teach and explain that to my customers. And so I had to just force down this black coffee, every kind of roast that we had, two cups at least, and just subject myself to it. And through that practice, something slowly started to change in me. And so I decided once that was over, you know what, I don't need all that cream and sugar in my life, so I'm going to try to keep doing this. And so I would wake up in the morning, I would grind my coffee from Starbucks, I would uh, boil some water, I would grab my French press, because that's when those were cool, and then I would make myself a French press, and I would sit down, and I would force down two or three cups of straight black coffee. And over time, I began to change and I literally became the kind of person who enjoys straight black coffee. My palate changed. So here's, here's what I'm saying. We're going to talk about this a lot, a lot, a lot in the coming weeks. But human beings are literally shaped from the inside out by the habits and the practices that we live into. Literally gets in through your limbic system, changes your desires, changes your longings, changing your, changes your loves, and changes your life, your behaviors begin to change. And so the way you cultivate a palate for the scriptures and you learn to sit down before this and delight in it more than all the riches of the universe is you have to, you have to build into your time, life, daily time of eating it. You have to be disciplined to eat it. And so what does that look like? Let me, let me just be, I want to get as practical as I possibly can with you. What does it look like for you to wake up tomorrow and sit down, what are the nuts and bolts of grabbing your knife and your fork, which might be equivalent to your pen and your journal, and actually reading this and feasting on it? Let me just say a couple things real quick of how to cultivate this palate. Um, the first thing you got to do is you got to have a Bible. Um, you gotta, you got to have a Bible. And you can, uh, listen, you can use the Bible on your phone if you want. That's, it's still the Bible. 
Uh, it's, it's, it's the Bible. If you're anything like me, though, you're easily distracted by your phone. And so I would recommend that you put that away and you get a hard copy. So that means you either dust the one off of your shelf that you have or you go buy yourself one. Bibles are relatively cheap now or you can save up and you can pull a Ryan Mason. You can get some amazing goatskin uh, leather thing with like this just glorious looking and you can do that if you want, right? Get, get, get a Bible that you want if that's what you want to do. The point is you got to have a Bible. Um, if you can't afford a Bible, talk to your missional community leader. If you can't afford a Bible, come talk to me. I'd love to help you out there. And so just, just so you know, just personal preference, I enjoy reading from the ESV, which is what we preach from, or I enjoy reading the NIV, just a personal preference. You can, you can pick whatever you want. My whole point is you've got to get yourself a Bible. Second thing you've got to do is you've got to get a Bible reading plan, okay? Get a plan. I have found that I will never learn to eat this meal and delight in this meal if I don't have some structure in my life because I'm a sheep. Jesus calls us sheep, and what do sheep do? They, dr- they drift, they stray, they wander, right? That's why sheep needs discipline, sheep need structure, sheep need a plan, right? So you really need a plan, something to facilitate getting yourself into the Word. And that's why we highly recommend, again, the Bible Project. Super easy, easy to do. And maybe some of you are saying, I want to say this because I feel this burden, and I know this, is, um, this, this may be true for you. Some of you may be thinking, like, well, what if I can't, man, like, what if I can't read very well? Or what if I can't read at all? So how does getting a Bible and having a plan really serve me? Listen, I love that you're, if, if you're here, I love that you're here, and I love that you're asking that question. And let me say to you with full integrity that Jesus is just as jazzed and just as excited about revealing himself to you and making himself known to you, regardless of whether or not you can read. <laughs> like, do you realize that the majority of the people in Jesus' day could not read? And so what they would do is they would go to the temple every day and they would sit and soak in the reading of God's word as it's being read. And they would have huge swaths of the Old Testament memorized just from simply listening. And so they would sit and they would listen and they would, they would consume and they would take in all the nutrients and they would hide God's word in their heart and it would change their lives. And so there are literally Bible reading apps that will read the Bible to you. The one I use often is esvbible.org. Just esv.org. And you'll see this little blue speaker in the upper left-hand corner. And you can click it when you're driving down the road or when you're doing dishes or when you get up in the morning and you carve out some space and you can listen to God's Word being read to you. The point is, you've got to have a Bible. You've got to have a plan. Number three, you've got to set aside a daily ritual. So remember, you've got to think about this like a meal. We don't skip meals right? We don't skip meals. Uh, we, at least three times a day, if not more, we have a ritual where we stop and we eat. And we don't skip meals. So, amen. We don't skip them. And so you, if you're going to eat this, if you're going to learn, some of you like my kids just kind of graze all day, by the way. Um, but if you're going to learn to eat this, you've got to set aside a time to actually eat it. And let me say this. I had a, I had a doctor tell me in college once, he said, Adam, if you don't learn to eat something besides chicken nuggets, you're never going to make it to 40, all right? Because I just blew up the, the McDonald's in Walnut Ridge all the time. I was there all the time. And so he said, like, look, if you don't learn to eat something besides chicken nuggets, you're going to die. Some of you are trying to live your Christian life off of the nuggets that you receive from Sundays and the nuggets that you receive from podcasts 
and Matt Chandler's and, uh, and you know, teachings from your missional community. All that's amazing. You've got to have that in your life. But if you don't set aside a daily ritual where you yourself sit down before the Word of God and learn how to eat and take care of yourself, you're probably never going to learn how to walk by the Spirit. You're probably never going to make it in this wilderness. You've got to set aside a time. And to do that, you've got to carve out space. So that's, that brings me to the next just baseline practical. A simple rule of thumb is if you're going to do this, don't add this to your life. Subtract something else from your life. Right? Um, I, had to, I had to cut out cream and sugar in order to change my palate. Right? There's, so there's things you've got to, there's things that's got to go. Like we're already over busy, neurotically busy, if you're anything like me. So the last thing you want to try to do is cram spending time with Jesus into your life and cram reading the scriptures into your life. Instead of cramming, you need to do some cutting. And one writer said, you can't create intimacy. You have to carve out space for intimacy to develop. And that's what we're talking about here. Carving out space to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and to learn the life that he's called us to live by engaging the scriptures. And so what does that mean for you? For me, it means that I need to watch a few less shows on Netflix. Hey, this isn't legalism. This isn't law. I'm just telling you what works for me. I need to watch a few less, you know, Netflix. I need to probably go to bed a little bit earlier so I can wake up earlier. I need to change my rhythms a little bit. But you got to set aside a time. The morning typically works the best, by the way, because everybody else is still asleep. That's why Jesus got up early in the morning. Some of you have to be at work super early. That doesn't work for you. That's fine. The point is, you've got to get a Bible, you've got to grab a plan, you've got to set aside a daily ritual, and to do all of that, you've got to carve out some space. And then this is what you've got to do. When you actually sit down, let's take this to a whole other level of nuts and bolts. When you actually sit down and you open up the Scriptures, wherever you're at in your reading plan, we're in the, we're in the 40s chapter right now in, in the book of Genesis, if you're in the Bible project, when you actually open it up, you've got to resist the temptation to move quickly. You've got to slow down. In other words, don't rush it, but meditate on it. Okay, and that, that brings us to the next point that the psalmist makes. Don't rush it, meditate on it. Okay, look at what the psalmist says in verse 15. This is how you learn to change your palate and delight in God's word. He says, I will meditate on your precepts. You see this word meditate all over this psalm, by the way. Look at what he says in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. All day long, he says, I chew on this, which is literally what the word meditate means. So we, we kind of struggle with this word. It's kind of a weird word to us because, you know, meditate, and yet you see it here in the Bible, meditate. You have to keep in mind, this is not Eastern meditation where the goal is to empty your mind and to, you know, look inward to yourself for all the answers. This is Hebrew meditation. This is biblical meditation where you look outside of yourself to the person of God. And instead of emptying your mind, the goal is to fill your mind with God's thoughts about you and God's thoughts about how life works best. And so that slowly begins to inhabit you and change you. And the psalmist says, this is what you got to do, man. Chew your food. I tell my kids all the time, like, dude, chew that thing. Nobody goes to Omar's and scarfs down a steak. You want to savor every bite, right? You want to put a little salt and pepper on it, and you want to, you want to feel it all. 
You want to chew on this and take in these nutrients. And the Hebrew word for meditate literally means to chew. It's this, there's this verse in Isaiah. I'll put on the screen right there. As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey. See that word growl? That's the word, same word translated meditate. So think about Discovery Channel. You've got this lion standing over this, you know, dead whatever, and he's chewing on it, right? And he's smacking his lips, and he's gnawing on this thing. Or think of a dog with its bone. It's, it's not in a hurry. It's chewing, playing with it, chewing it, taking in all the nutrients. It's giving it life. God says, this is how you learn to, to cultivate a palate for my word. You gotta meditate on it. It's how you taste the sweetness. And by the way, it's also how you taste the bitter notes. There's this uh, scene in Revelation 10 where this angel gives John a scroll, which represents the scriptures, and he says, Take it and eat it. Take it and eat it. Literally. And this is what John says. He says, He says, uh, I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but it made my stomach bitter. So it bites back, right? Sometimes God's word will punch you in the stomach. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it rebukes you, it corrects you, it shapes you. That's okay. That's how you know it's working. Eugene Peterson said you never want to read the Bible without a bottle of Pepto-Bismol next to you. Because it can give you indigestion. It's sweet, but it also punches. But the punch is sweet. But you'll never taste it if you don't slow down. And so here's what this looks like for me. I'll just tell you kind of how I do this quickly. I read it. I try my best to read it slowly. So I follow a morning ritual. And I'll I'll probably teach this another time more, more fully. But I follow a morning ritual where I just follow the practices of solitude, silence, scripture, surrender. So solitude. First thing I do is I wake up. I shower, I get dressed, and I brew some coffee, and then I go into our fifth bedroom, which is my office, and I just sit down there in the spare bedroom, and I just get alone with God. That's called solitude. Nobody else is bothering me. And then the first thing I do is just try to be silent. I put my phone on airplane mode because my phone is is the tyrant in my life that kills intimacy in all my relationships. So we spend 13 hours a week on our phones, by the way. Um, So... Probably that's what you should carve out of your life. Uh, So I put my phone away, and then I just try my best to be still for about 10 minutes. I'm so distracted. I don't do this very well at all. But but the key is over practice and over time, I will become the kind of person who knows how to meditate on Scripture. I'm learning. I'm learning. I have to learn. And so I just try to be still. God, God, help me be with you. Help me open myself to you. And then I move from silence to scripture. And I open the word. And wherever I'm at in our Bible reading plan, I just jump in and I engage. And I can't, you know, usually we read three or four chapters a day in this plan. I can't read that all slowly. So what I do is I read the Old Testament passages at kind of a normal pace. And then I try to read the psalm rather slowly. And I just look for what shimmers. Like, what sticks out to me? And then I just sort of try to open myself up to that. God, what are you maybe saying? What, what's, what, is there any connection point between what this says and my life? Is there any way that you want me to see Jesus through this? I mean, how are you leading me to Jesus? Because all of Scripture is ultimately doing that. And so then I move from reading for a little bit into a time of surrender. What I mean by that is I just kind of open myself up to God and say, look, 
Help me, God, to take this word, even though I don't understand what it means or I do understand what it means, and help me to, to chew on this and take this in and actually live it. Like, I want to surrender myself in obedience to your word. I want to actually do what your word says. So help me as I go throughout this day and I get distracted all day and I'm in the chaos of everything and I've forgotten about you 10 minutes after I you know, leave this conversation with you. Just remind me, constantly remind me and help me to live out the teachings of your word. And that brings us to the final thing where I want to close. I want to land this plane here. The psalmist says, here's how you plate up and, and eat the scriptures. He says you delight in them, but you have to learn how to do that by meditating on them. And then he says you are meant to obey them. So let's close with one final thought. Here's what he says. He says, look at verse 1 of Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. And he just goes on and on and on with this idea of keeping and obeying whatever God says in his word. So following Jesus is not just about reading and knowing what God says. It's about doing what God says. And he says we are to walk in Scripture. Can you just imagine that for a second? He says walk in it. So God is actually inviting you to step into this story about Jesus and walk in it and live it and wear it and participate in it. I think often I don't delight in the Scriptures because I see like, I don't see myself as capable of having the same experiences that the people in the Bible had. So I'll think, man, yeah, I know God showed up and talked to Abraham or Moses or whatever. Or he really used Paul and Peter, but like, that's those guys. And I'm me. And so God just doesn't really operate like that anymore. But the scriptures are telling you, they're meant to tell you exactly how God really does operate within the context of human history. And guess what? He's still doing it. So the psalmist says, yeah, man, that's why you got to walk in this narrative. Because if you don't, you'll walk in some other false narrative where you're the center of the story. So you've got you to learn to walk in this story. Uh, I love N.T. Wright says, you've got to think about the Bible like a five-act play. And the last act is that we are improvising. And we're actors in this play following the Spirit, improvising and carrying this story forward. So God is inviting us to walk in His Word, obey His Word, keep His Word, where we, we advance this story where He is, through the personal work of Jesus, making disciples and healing and renewing all creation for the sake of His glory right here in Paragould and beyond. So He says, you've got to do it. I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, man, that's, that, that, that sounds legalistic for you to tell me, hey, man, you've got to do this. You've got to walk in this. this. This is not about legalism. Legalism is, I'm going to do this so that I can earn God's love and favor. It's how I live most of my life. This is not about legalism. This is about life-giving. This is life-giving. This is about the life you were created for. And so that's where you have to remember that the whole goal of reading the Scriptures is to be with Jesus. Like this is the script, Reading the Scriptures is not 
an end in and of itself. The whole point of this meal is to be brought into the presence of Jesus, to worship Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to be changed by his love and grace. And so this is where we have to remember that we do the scriptures out of a response to the grace that we've already been given in Jesus. And this is, I love, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 6. Jesus says this. He says, hey man, the whole point about feasting on this bread is so that you can feast on the bread of life. And here's what he says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is what? True food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. Jesus is not a cannibal. What Jesus is saying is a powerful metaphor for the whole thing the Bible is trying to tell you. The whole story is trying to tell you this. Your only hope is to receive Jesus. To receive him and to keep receiving him. To keep opening yourself up to him and receiving him and taking him in and putting your faith in him and being consumed with him. Jesus says this is your only hope. If you don't take and consume Jesus, you'll die in this wilderness.